0: Probably one of the more uh, valid reasons why hospitality is so appealing to me is because I'm actually the, the son of two psychiatrists. So, uh, how people tick and how they react to things has always been I don't know, something that's been very, very interesting to me. Um, so, to be in an environment where I can create positive experiences from people is is very, very special.
1: We continue our epic adventure at Voudemonde in celebration of 500 episodes of Dirty Linen. I feel like it's it's probably more extraordinary that Voodamond's been going for 23 years than Dirty Linen's been going for 500 episodes, but I will, uh, yeah, put those two celebrations together. Today, our guest is someone that I have so enjoyed encountering at the restaurant. Raj Soyn is Voodamond's restaurant manager. Welcome, Raj, to my podcast.
0: Thank you very much. It's very nice to be here. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so lovely to have you on the show. Uh, tell us about your experience at Voo. How long have you been there and what's your role?
0: Uh, it's pretty crazy. So uh, I've been, I think, restaurant now for close to two years. It kind of came about during the middle of lockdowns. So it's a bit of a blur to remember when it actually started. Um, but uh, I've been at Voo for, I think, five years now almost, actually. It's coming up to. Um, so it's been a pretty wild journey. So yeah five years, five years.
1: And what what's your background in hospitality?
0: Um, had very humble beginnings. Um I did one shift in an Indian restaurant and decided I absolutely hated that. <laughs> um, and then I actually worked at Nando's for uh, almost two years, uh, which sort of started off uh, my hospitality journey.
1: Ah, that common story from Nando's to Voudemont. <laughs>
0: Yes, correct. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you've heard quite a few of the different humble beginning stories as well from any of the staff as well. So,
1: I mean, I, I think um, it is actually so lovely to hear these origin stories um, because, yeah, I mean, if you come to the restaurant, it's the, the surroundings are very grand and as much as, um, you know, everybody there does, uh, does everything to make uh, people feel comfortable, there is... Um, I think always this feeling that the people that work there know how to be how to be fancy better than the people that are arriving, or that's how I feel anyway. But um, to yeah, hear the backstory, um, yeah, it's just really it's just wins me over all over again. Um, but yeah, tell us what it was about Nando's that um, uh, turned you onto hospitality.
0: Um, I think I'd, I'd come out of school. I'd given myself. Uh, a try at university. I'd studied philosophy and law. So, I'd studied philosophy out of a love and passion for philosophy and everything it represents. And I'd studied law because I had a very Indian father who wanted me to be successful. Um, Ended up hating the degree, dropping out and uh, starting to work full-time in hospitality.
1: And what did you get out of the experience at Nando's?
0: Um, I think at first, honestly, it was just so nice to be paid <laughs> and have a lot of money at that age. Um, but it was actually just being able to interact with people and being in a social environment that I kind of fell in love with, and I think continues to sort of drive me in hospitality.
1: Yeah, I love that. So what happened next? Um, so Anders was in Hobart in
0: Tasmania, actually. It was the first was opened down there. Um, I decided to go back to the motherland, which is West Australia. Um, continued my very, very casual dining journey. I um, actually did try to do another stint at university, of course, same sort of thing as the first one where I uh, decided I was going to do business economics and journalism, so journalism was the passion and business economics was the you know thing in the back of my head that says you need to do something that's going to be successful. Um, again, didn't last too long and I found myself uh, working full time for uh, a little burger joint called Just Burgers, uh, which was in Leaderville in uh, West Australia.
1: And what was that like? <laughs>
0: It was amazing. It was just, it was just like a, a simple progression as well from what I'd been doing previously. Um, the place was actually run by an actual chef. So he'd got sick of doing chefing for about 15 years and wanted to open something up himself that was a bit more casual. Um, and yeah, it was a great team. And actually all the, the cooks that were in the kitchen, all the people making burgers were all qualified chefs. So quickly uh, became friends with a lot of chefs, uh, which I think was the start of my downfall into this foray into hospitality and why why I kind of loved it all the time. I think I had became very, very good friends with one of the chefs there uh, who was constantly talking about people like Marco Pierre White and Alan DeCass, and I had no idea who these people were at all. It was just a, a little boy who grew up in Hobart and Tasmania uh, and started researching them and starting to have a bit of a love for um, food and gastronomy.
1: Wow, Raj, that's so interesting. I mean, it, and it's fascinating, you know, you had those two tries at uni and it just didn't really, it wasn't really you. I mean, it's just, it, it, you just wonder like if hospitality had been presented as a viable career earlier on, you know, like as an honourable career, would you have just, um, yeah, just turned this love of interacting with people into... Yeah, would you have let yourself do it sooner or you know, we don't know, like maybe that's just the path you had to go on.
0: I think it's I think it's interesting I I think it definitely would have been something I would have considered. Um, I know that uh, quite a few people in the restaurant, especially those in senior positions like Hugo and Carlos for example, who actually studied hospitality during their teenage years because it was presented to them as an option. I think that had I had that option, I probably would have pursued it.
1: Mm. So, yeah, that's so interesting. Okay, so you started to hear about these uber chefs and uh, had a d- different kind of interest in the industry. What happened after that?
0: Um, started making regular trips to Melbourne, actually. Um, so me and uh, this chef, Anthony Yule, uh, who's a very, very good friend of mine who's um, now running restaurants over in Perth. Um, uh, him and one, other, one of my friends became deeply sort of, I don't know, interested in gastronomy and cooking and that sort of thing. Um we would make sort of either biannually or triannual trips to Melbourne to just go and go to all the good restaurants. We'd buy the good food guide every year and figure out who had the hats and save up our money and go over and stay for a week in some really, really dodgy little hotel or you know, the cheapest accommodation we could find so we could splurge out in food. And this is back when we were all very, very naive in terms of dining or anything like that. But got to go to all these really cool places and, um, I don't know, I guess I always aspired towards working somewhere, I don't know, a little bit nicer. So.
1: Were there any key Melbourne restaurants that you remember that would you were just, like, amazed by?
0: 100%, Andrew McConnell, um, I think. I got to go to some of his restaurants that have now shut down. It was Golden Fields and St Kilda. Um, remember dining at you know Sync for the first time, Cutler. Um, I think we were just this little trio of fanboys for Andrew McConnell, and just loved everything that he did. So it definitely, definitely, definitely made a big influence on me in the Australian landscape landscape of dining. Yeah,
1: that's so interesting. And so, was it? Did Melbourne just slowly reel you in, and you ended up living here?
0: Yeah, I mean, I've always considered it kind of mecca of sort of dining in Australia. Um, I would make regular trips over to Sydney as well because I ended up in the bar industry. So we'd go over there every year for the bar awards and go to some nice dining and that sort of thing over there. But Melbourne just always kind of felt like a second home. So the natural progression to actually come here was, it was just perfect when I actually got here.
1: And what did you do when you got here? When I got here? Yeah, like, um, did you get a job straight away?
0: Well, actually, I was coming off um, uh, almost seven years of working in a, a pub in uh, West Australia. Um, so I'd actually accumulated about 14 weeks of leave. So <laughs> I, um, I took a couple months off I spent a lot of time with my brother uh, I wanted to try and find the right place to work and right place to live. Uh, when I first got here, uh, the first job I had was at um, an amazing restaurant called Lee Ho Fook on Duckboard Place, uh, just off Flinders Lane. So uh, it's the chef's of Victor Leung. Uh and that was actually my first proper restaurant job. I was only there for about three or four months before um, I was. I, I applied on a whim to Vuitton uh, and actually got an interview. Um, but yeah, that was an amazing sort of start to my uh, Melbourne hospitality journey.
1: Yeah, wow. Well, I mean, Leho Fook's been around for quite a while now and, you know, great people have worked there and gone through, yeah, Victor's Kitchen and, and the front of house as well. Um, so you, yeah, randomly applied to Vudemond, perhaps not thinking it was going to happen, but then it did. So what What was that like?
0: Uh, yeah, not at all. Um, I mean, I was having a great time at Leo Fook, really enjoying myself. Um, I think I was just randomly perusing Job Ads one day um it was quite interesting for me for the last i don't know 10 years that i've been in Perth. i guess maybe i felt i was a big fish in a small pond i was like i don't need a resume rah, rah, rah. and then you come to melbourne and it's a, it's a very very different scene it's very competitive there's a lot of experience required for a lot of jobs i think i always saw Voudemont as the kind of place that it would be like a dream or like a massive aspiration to ever even get considered to work there It was quite interesting as well because um there's a lot of rumors going around about Voudemont. um I uh, had a friend of mine who worked at an Italian restaurant in Little Collins, and she was like, no, 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 Voodamond only accepts people who have two or three Michelin star uh, experience around the world. They don't employ Australians. Uh, so when I actually got a call back from them, I was like, oh, wait, what's going on here?
1: Yeah, right, the legends that preceded the restaurant.
0: The legends, yes. Oh, what
1: was it? What do you think you brought? Like what did they see in you? Um, I think so
0: it was Christoph the restaurant manager, I think who actually saw my resume at the time. Um, and so my experience, um, so i would worked for seven years at a place called the Brisbane hotel in, um, Perth, which uh, was like extremely well accoladed over the years, had great operators, had a lot of people who had worked in fine dining before actually coming to the venue as well. Um, I think you saw, I had a lot of ed- uh, restaurant experience, uh, and also senior management experience. Um, I think it's the same thing I look at now when you have someone coming in for an interview, it's if someone's got a lot of senior management experience, but they've made it like very, very clear that they want to come and be in a junior position and learn, there's there's two ways it can probably go. One is that they think they're probably going to excel and get promoted to a management position very quickly, or they're just there because they actually just want to
1: learn. And Do you feel like you can pick which way it's going to go? Uh, it's, it can be hard
0: sometimes. Um, sometimes it's a bit of a gamble. Uh, for me, I, I just wanted to come and do six months at VU and just learn as much as I could. Uh, and then yeah five years on I'm still there so (laughs) I must enjoy it.
1: (laughs) Yeah well what did you think you were going to learn and did that match up to what actually uh, came down the road for you?
0: I think uh, I I just wanted to learn how to work in a restaurant of that caliber I guess that style of service um, i done quite a lot of different hospitality avenues throughout my years. Um, I've had aspirations to open my own venue, so I guess I wanted to kind of tick all the boxes before I eventually do that. Um, and one of the, I guess, parts of hospitality that I never felt that I'd properly done was, I guess, that level of – it's funny using the word fine dining, but I guess you could that, – that upper echelon of dining, that nicer style of dining. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely – I think six months in, I was kind of thinking, I was like, oh, I was going to give it six months. But the place and, and really more, more, way more importantly than anything is the people and just the wealth of knowledge that I knew that I could just leech and absorb off all these amazing people was just too much to pass up. And so I stayed. And fortunately, staying has meant that I've been offered some great opportunities as well. So,
1: Give us some real, like, nitty-gritty. Like, what have you learnt? What can you do now that you couldn't do five years ago?
0: Oh, that's a hard question. Um, I think it's just being able to pursue my idea of hospitality and being creative and being able to try and look at what we can possibly do for the guest and then execute it. Um, I think one of the greatest things that we have at VU is that we can just try things. And sometimes it doesn't work. And it's also a restaurant that's been around for 23 years. So we've tried lots of things and they haven't worked in the past. Um, but it's it's extremely rewarding being able to do something for a guest and then having you know such amazing energy coming back to you because it's worked or it's just been impactful. So,
1: Well, I feel like this is the moment to ask you about sheepy.
0: Sheepy. Oh, God. <laughs> who told you about Sheepy? It was Hugh, was it? Or Hugo?
1: Oh, no, it was Hugh.
0: Was, there's a funny line that I'll share with you from that evening, actually, um, which was Ugo, who's obviously the GM, who actually came out to me at one point. And he was like, Raj, what are you doing? I'm taking care of a restaurant of 60 guests, and you're taking care of a fluffy animal. <laughs> he meant it. He meant it in jest, though. Don't worry. Um, I think Sheepy was just um, – I don't know, I guess every single day we all try to look for things that we can do to kind of amplify an experience for a guest and sometimes it can be the most mundane and silly little things. Um, I think people dining with children in the restaurant is always a really interesting thing. Uh, I think a lot of guests that come up, especially if it's their first time, can be quite nervous they're quite unsure about what's going to happen. You know, they don't know if they're going to be surrounded by you know twelve sets of cutlery in each side, and have to address the waiters in a certain way, or have to eat in a certain way. I think we're very good at disarming people at the restaurant and making them feel really warm and comfortable, like in a pretty timely fashion. Um, I think for one one thing, for a lot of the staff as well, and especially for myself, is if there's a, a child dining, it's just it's the easiest way to make the parents feel comfortable is to make the child feel comfortable. Um, and so this beautiful little girl had a beautiful little stuffed animal and I just basically spent my entire night taking care of the stuffed animal. So, <laughs> And it, it, it ended up becoming a bit of a, almost a joke throughout the evening because it was like, what else can we do? And it started with a little glass of water and a little napkin for Sheepy, which is this little plush toy. I got her a little stool to go by the table. Um, and then it just progressively got bigger and bigger after that with you know the chefs contributing and um, I think Hugh made the joke he was like hey maybe we could do a souffle and I was like that's not gonna happen and then Claire who I know you've also interviewed as well the sous chef she was like no we can make this happen so I found a little vessel for a, uh, a souffle and we made a mini souffle and we did a little mini Roche air of ice cream into the souffle for soup for sheepy right at the second last course so (laughs)
1: that's so amazing i
0: think it's probably almost the epitome of the silly things that we can do but um i don't know i think that it's probably going to create a memory for this little kid that they're going to remember for the rest of their lives uh and i'm sure the parents appreciate it as well so it's just it's pretty lovely
1: yeah it's so amazing um i mean you mentioned the people that you work with. Can you talk about the culture at Ville de Um
0: Absolutely. I mean, I know that when you've announced this podcast, you've talked about the fact that it's been a controversial restaurant as well as one that's been very lauded. Um, there's been many different iterations of a restaurant. Any venue that goes through 23 years of operations is going to have its high points and its low points. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not really sure where the restaurant was when I started five years ago. Um, because I didn't really understand all the dynamics but I feel that if this version of the restaurant now isn't one of the best versions that it's been then I would be very surprised um, I think the the culture that we have of learning of wanting to take care of guests of not having ego of just being focused on the right thing and not the wrong um, is is pretty is pretty amazing uh, I've so that, again, the people that work at Vitamond, like I'm probably going to try and list them, but I'm going to miss a few from Ugo, Carlos, Dorion, from Christoph who's worked there in the past, Chris Marshall, Hugh Allen, Claire, like the amazing work, like wealth of knowledge that these guys have and the fact that every single one of these persons, these people sorry, are focused on the guest and would do anything for the guest is, is pretty crazy. Um, and i think it's one of the reasons why we create amazing experiences it's it's a restaurant definitely of many 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 big people like big personalities and a lot of confidence and everything like that and um but i think that we all just make it work and it's it's yeah, we couldn't do anything without everyone um but having all these amazing people certainly helps so
1: yeah, I mean, how do you create a culture like that? I, th- I think some people, you know, are cynical about restaurants and, you know, this idea of teams and they think that it must be um, a veneer, there must be uh, other stuff that that's going on, you know, particularly when you're striving for excellence every single service. Um, yeah, what would you say to that?
0: Um, I think a, a, a big part of it, of what happened at Vudemonde as well, um, especially in the front of the house, is the fact that it's a team of people that had worked with each other all over the world, like with Hugo, Christoph, the ex restaurant manager, Dorion, Carlos. Um, there's been a couple of people who've been in and out who've worked with them. When they've basically, they've known who they thought was amazing and would be a great person to be in the team, and they've actually brought them with them, like across the world in some cases. And I think that that started the foundation for it. And then they've just built off that, finding great people who want to be part of that culture. I think another part as well is also making sure that there's no, none of that negativity or none of that, you know, sometimes in hospitality people can not realize that they're in the service industry and maybe it's, um, you know, ultimately we are here to take care of people and as as frustrating as it might be from time to time or anything like that, that doesn't really matter. It's just the, the main, main focus has to always be taking care of the guests. Um, as far as the kitchen's concerned, I think it's just, it's always been a kitchen that's had amazing chefs come through. It's it's always attracted, amazing talent. Um, starts with people like, you know, Hugh and Chris. who you know, Hugh's been on and off there for 10 years, even though he had a big break in the middle. Chris has been there for nine years. You know Claire has been there for five years. Many of the chefs in the kitchen, the core group, have been there for like a very, very long time. Um, I think when you have a team like that that's so well established, it's people come in and they just see an opportunity to integrate into that and they want to stay so
1: Mm. i mean the restaurant's been there for 23 years you've been um there for five raj like what kind of um uh induction into the mythology of voodemond do staff get like is there like a voodemond story that you're told when you begin working there or is it just stuff that you pick up along the way
0: uh, no, 100% there's a story. Obviously, there's the there's genesis of the restaurant and you know, it's, its ups and its downs and its different ethos and visions that it's had throughout the years. I mean, if you looked at Voodermond from prior to uh, Level 55, it was a completely different restaurant in terms of what we were actually delivering in terms of food. Um, I think that, that it's, it's a pretty grueling process for all staff that start there. Um, both front of house and a bag of house. I mean, we all absolutely love what we do, but it's by no means easy. And there's a lot of pressure, um, for example, in the front of house uh, staffing, it's uh, everyone gets given a it's almost like a 55-page induction book with the full history of the restaurant and information about everyone who makes everything and the team and where everyone comes from and what their background is. You know, Shannon Bennett, albeit not attached to the restaurant in any business capacity, is such a huge important part of the restaurant. Um, I think understanding, yeah, the history of the restaurant is extremely important for new staff because it's. Um, you know, it's, we're, we're built on the last 23 years. It's not like it just, it just happened It's, it's an accumulation of different venue managers, different general managers, different head chefs. You know, the, the fact that it's probably seen, I don't, I don't even know if you could quantify the amount of different dishes that the chefs have created over the years. I think it would be quite crazy to be able to sit down and almost look at it um, from differing uh, degustation menus, you know, spanning 23 years.
1: Yeah, that would be an amazing document in itself. So, what do you do? What do you do, Raj? You just like passing a new staff member in the corridor, and you say, "What year did we move? What year did we move to Little Collins Street?" Is it just? Is there a quiz? Are there quizzes? Is it just? A, what is it? How do you make sure?
0: There, there are quizzes. Um, I'm, I'm a very big believer of um, staff doing everything on shift. I don't like giving homework. Um, I think that every, every, all the training we can do it can be done on shift. Um, I think, well, maybe apart from the first two weeks because it's just so intensive. Um, so there's a lot of just little pop quizzes here and there. Little like, what's this? What's this do? Where's this from? What, what's the best restaurant in Chicago? What's the this this this? Um, it's it, one of the greatest things as well about it. Though, I think is it's a constant um, culture of wanting to learn. Um, which actually extends to so many different things up, apart from food and beverage. Uh, uh, I know for myself like uh, I'm surrounded by people from different backgrounds from you know Japan to Germany to France to Italy. Um, so I can now speak all these languages very very badly so <laughs> just from learning like one or two simple phrases every day um, and I think all the stuff we encourage ourselves to to keep on doing that and keeping wanting to learn and keep wanting to try and find something new that we can absorb on that day so. <clears throat>
1: You you mentioned that you initially studied philosophy out of, you know, a passion and an interest. How does that play into your approach to hospitality?
0: Um, It definitely plays into it. I think um, probably one of the more uh, valid reasons why hospitality is so appealing to me is because I'm actually the the son of two psychiatrists. So there's um, (laughs) – A human interaction and behavior and uh, how people tick and how they react to things has always been you know, something that's been very, very interesting to me. Um, so to be in an environment where I can create positive experiences from people is, is very, very special. Um, but also just get to watch people. It's the most interesting thing in the entire world. And we get every breadth and depth of life and affluency and everything that comes through the restaurant.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, what do you what do you think is important about what you do?
0: What do I think is important, um, it's pretty crazy. I think that 90 um, percent of our guests are there celebrating something really momental, mo- monumental, um, whether it's a fiftieth birthday or a wedding anniversary or um, you know graduation or something like that. Um, so we get to be part of these pretty amazing and important experiences for groups of people every single day um, and every day as well. It's just another day in the, in the office for us. So it's making sure that we don't forget. It's like, no, no, no. It's This is like for 50 of our 60 guests that come in, like they're celebrating something that's extremely precious to them. Um, and it's being part of that experience as well, which is it's super rewarding.
1: Yeah, well, I've had the privilege of being in a few staff briefings just before service begins. Yeah, you've seen just,
0: it as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you
1: just see um, you going through the guests and whether you know what occasion they're there for. And um, I think, yeah, everyone listens with real attention. And I, uh, I guess it's part of that process of, yeah, remembering that um, it's important what you do. Yeah. Um, Raj, you mentioned that you wanted to have your own place at some point. Is that still the dream?
0: Yeah, 100%.
1: What kind of place are you envisaging?
0: Um, To be honest, it'll probably be like a small bar with like a food offering. I've thought about it a lot over the years. Um, I think the reason why I sort of slowed down my uh, aspirations there was because I realised the amount of work it actually takes. Um, I don't want to just enjoy myself a little bit more. Uh, I think Vu definitely put a little bit of a roadblock there as well because I just wanted to stay and try to absorb as much as I can from the business and the people. Um, So we'll see. Maybe it's the next step after Videmond.
1: Love it, Raj. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Um, It's always a pleasure to encounter you in person or on the podcast. I really appreciate you giving us your time.
0: Absolutely. My absolute pleasure.
1: ¡Gracias!